0: And welcome to the Modern Poetry in Translation podcast. My name is Kairani Bokopa, editor of MPT, and I am so excited to introduce Call the Sea a Poet, our focus on Malta issue. It is jam-packed with lots of poetry, both in the focus and in the main body of the issue. And we are very fortunate to have with us today two contributors to that issue who contributed quite substantial contributions to the issue. First, we have Adrian Grima, born in 1968. Adrian writes poetry and prose in Maltese for adults and children and has read his work at festivals in many countries. He teaches Maltese literature at the University of Malta and Maltese language at Inalco in Paris. We also have with us Albert Gatt, who has translated several works of poetry and prose. In fact, I'll just say Albert Gett translated four poets for us in this issue, including Adrian, and we're very grateful for that. Um, he's translated works by, among others, Adrian Grima, Emmanuel Mifsud, Walid Naban, and Claire Adzopardi. He works at Utrecht University and the University of Malta. So I think we'd like to begin with a reading. Adrian, if you would please kindly read out the poem that Albert translated for you that is in our issue. We'd love to hear it.
1: So this is uh, We Are the Freed. And uh, the original version, there's a reference to 21, which is 1921, and 21 is also the age of my son, who I'm referring to. And 1921 was the year Malta gained its first South government. We are the freed. You told me you're the son of 21, and this, the land of light and of those freed. You told me you didn't want queens and kings, for this land is no fiefdom ruled by lesser gods. And we, we are not grubs and flies. You told me pedestals are built for saints, and towers for the detained and confined. You told me there's no room for oligarchs and patriarchs, that the sun will sing its song for north and south. You told me this land is for the living, whatever their tone and tongue, whatever their traits or visage, land of trees and juju. This land is for the living, you said, not for persons made of glass, a land of open land and time, of basil, rosemary and mint. We exchange our views among the herbs, you said, exuded by the soil-like mists of wonder. We spend our mornings mapping out the ways of hearts and minds. We cross the Middle Sea and come across in the tongues and idioms of creation. This. You told me, it's a free land, and we, we are the freed.
0: Thank you so much for that. You also contributed a delightful essay for us, entitled "Of Reach and Richness," which is sort of about reconnecting with an understanding of the vastness of of the Maltese language and its history uh, in the streets of of Paris, and I was wondering if there's a connection between the essay and and the poem, actually, um, to you, in terms of what you'd like to say about being Maltese and and the Maltese language and the Maltese land.
1: Um, Yeah, I suppose there is. I I hadn't thought of this. Yes, I suppose there is an important connection in the sense that I'm trying to look at Malta and its language today and especially um the Malta that we're leaving for our our sons and daughters for the next generation. I, I think of Malta as as a place which uh for me should be open, open to the to the winds of, of different cultures and different ways of living, the different um worldviews. Rather than a Malta which is sort of closed in its ways and, you know, afraid of whatever comes its way. On the other hand, sort of, I, I also think of, of, of Malta as, as a place where, where people are uh, respectful of what other generations have, have, have provided, uh, have given it. So it's it's to me it's also a motto which um, it cherishes its freedom, its um, its creativity, but is also respectful of what it has received from its ancestors, and is ready to take it forward, so to speak.
0: Albert, you've translated quite a lot of of. Maltese authors. I'd like to bring you into the conversation and perhaps we can begin with your reading of Glenn Kalea's poem that is in our issue.
2: Certainly. Um, So this is a a short piece which um, belongs in a series um, and it's, it's a little special for me because I think this is the first translation of Glenn's poems that I, I've ever done, um, even though I've, I've known Glenn and his work for many years. Uh, he takes some, it takes some persuading to, to get him to, to you know, give it up and let you translate it. <laughs> <laughs> um, here we go. It doesn't have a title. The government in your house smells of fresh paint. It takes samples of your headaches for finding purposes. It takes samples of this newfound cleanliness. Question. Those flying ants, do they still give you trouble? Yes, I say. They give me trouble still, those flying ants, especially in the evening. Inside my eye sockets, they're drawn to the light. Now every window's open. Let in some fresh air.
0: Thank you so much. Obviously this seems to be a political poem. <laughs> and I was wondering um what drew you to this poem and and what do you think it references in terms of Malta?
2: Yeah, that's a very good question. Um it certainly affords a political reading, right? The government in your house and and, uh, and all this all this talk of of, of things Having a newfound cleanliness, um, and and this sort of this very bureaucratic voice that's featuring, right? Very typical of, of, of Glen's uh, recent work, by the way. This this use of multiple voices that um, collide in in the verse, and it it takes sometimes it takes multiple readings to actually realise that there's different voices here that that are kind of in some kind of dialogue, which I find really interesting. Does it say anything, or does it reference anything about Malta? If we give it a political reading, I think there's uh, an irony that's very clear in 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 the tone and in 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 the work. Um, the idea that you have a government that's sort of freshly painted and and, and reeks of that, and it's all very surface-y. And, and that of course doesn't necessarily mean that this newness this cleanliness is you know goes all the way down to the core Uh, and i suppose that is something that could be could be read into this that said this is i think a very partial interpretation um I think it's also possible to, to read it in, in a different way, um, not necessarily as a, as a sort of political piece. Although I do think the political reading is, is is would be the most prominent in my mind, or was at least when I was translating it. I did not actually discuss with Glenn um, what he had in mind here, which is interesting. Maybe I should have. I like to draft a translation and then share it with the, with the author. The fact that I'm doing this from Maltese into English usually means I've got the... A privilege of, of being able to show the work to the authors and, and ask them what they think because they obviously also speak the language and so a lot of the discussion then was about you know the details of the translation and, and places where um, he felt that i was i was reading too much into it or or, or not necessarily uh, faithful to what he to what he wanted to do in the original so it was a very sort of technical discussion And we didn't actually uh, talk about what it all means.
0: So what is the other meaning that you were referring to?
2: There's a sort of domestic, um, probably very personal background that could have given rise to the work we're we're, we're talking about, which would make it not so much about a country and its government, but more about the conundrums of of day-to-day living, let's say. And how one just goes about this very humdrum business of managing one's daily life um, and, and governing oneself, if you like. Of course, that's political too, but but not in the sense of of uh, politics uh, uh, that one usually associates, you know, with governing uh, countries. So I would say both of those readings are, are equally um, equally valid.
0: Yeah. And it actually reminds me of, of Adrian's uh, poem in terms of you're talking about your son as well as about your nation, right? You're addressing your son, which is, you know, obviously extremely personal. Um, but you also use this collective voice. We are the freed. And and to me, as an outsider, I read the we as, you know, it's it's you and other Maltese people, but it's also you and your son. Would you agree with that, Adrian?
1: Absolutely, yes. Um, and I And I have to say that this is uh, the fourth in a cycle of of four poems, and then the other three poems, it's me addressing my son. But in this fourth poem, and this is also why I chose uh, to to, to submit this for translation. In this poem, it's more my son who who speaks because ultimately it's his Malta that I want to talk about. So the, the, the Malta of the present and the Malta of the future. And I say this because I, I feel a certain tiredness. I feel tired. I mean, I've been involved in in activism ever since I was a, a young man uh, in my late teens and early 20s. So for the, for the past almost 30 years, I feel tired. I feel disheartened. Uh, I look around and I see many things that I don't like. I I know we've made giant strides forward in in so many areas. I can see that young people like Rafael, my son, uh, have so many opportunities that we we didn't have uh, 40 or 30 years ago or even 20 years ago. But on the other hand, I also see a very, very small island, small proud island nation Losing a lot of of its heritage, of its especially of its space, uh, of its um, its culture in the in, in the beautiful sense of 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 the word, um, and mainly not because people are making cultural choices, but because uh, we've been gri- gripped by a certain greed which is is making people of my generation angry and disheartened and perhaps bitter that's the word I wanted. Uh, I think bitter is the word so i I, I realized that i I have to be very careful not to not to project this this anger
2: so so what you said just now about the reasons why you feel tired and and, and maybe disillusioned if if that's something you uh, a paraphrase you'd accept. I can relate to that very strongly. It's a sentiment that one increasingly feels. Maybe maybe less among the younger generation. Although it must be said that uh, there's an alarming trend uh, among some Maltese young people to to want to sort of turn turn their backs on all of this and just and just leave. Right? Just, there was. Um, Uh, a recent survey in the news where a significant percentage of of young people that is people of university and high school age were saying well you know uh, I don't see my future here I might just just pack up and go Um, and of course you always you always have that in an island nation you always have people looking beyond its shores but this was new in its intensity and in how widespread it is Um, and so when I read this poem, "We Are the Freed," one can also read it uh, with a with a read a bit of irony into it. You know, here are those hopes and dreams of 1921 and 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 everything that came after, uh, because 1921, of course, was also not the last chapter by any means in in this country's you know road to freedom. And here we are now, in the wake of all the things you mentioned, Adrian, Uh, one one could also sort of read read this poem and detect uh, a tone of irony or maybe just this tiredness uh, that comes from having worked for something and feeling perhaps a little disillusioned about it.
0: I just have to mention that this is such a... uh a very meta textual <laughs> intergenerational text so you wrote in the fourth it is the son who addresses the father proudly proclaiming what kind of malta he believes in and is striving for so you are writing in the voice of your son addressing you <laughs> which i think is it opens it opens up the the pathway to a uh, rich psychological readings of of this poem right because it's your hopes it's your son's hopes and it's your your hopes for what your son's hopes will be
1: so yes, these these are conversations I've often had with uh, with Rafael. So I'm I'm tr- I'm trying to uh, yeah, but basically uh, pass on his messages to me to a wider audience uh, because these are the things he he tells me. He he doesn't like it when I'm uh, when I'm negative or when I'm pessimistic because. You know, he has the world in front of him, he has the future in front of him, and, and he works for a better future together with many other young people, and uh, I feel uh, responsible uh, for every word I say, I, I feel the weight of every word I say and we say, um, because uh, because the future is theirs, essentially.
0: Yeah, that's, that's a beautiful sentiment, and I think Uh, I wonder actually, have you read him this poem or has he read this poem?
1: Yes, yes, he he is aware of it.
0: (laughs) Albert, I'd just like to ask, do you think it's the the poets you, you translate, you're drawn to translate their work because of any certain commonalities or themes or are they radically different from each other to you?
2: That is a really interesting question. And, of course, by interesting, I mean difficult.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, and if you don't want to answer, that's all right as well.
2: Oh, no, it's it's, it's not a case of not wanting to answer. You've just, you've just made me think whether I actually see commonalities in all these various people. I mean, of course, increasingly I see that authors whose work I translate are emphasizing... Themes which they don't—they don't necessarily have have themes in uh, Im- the same imagery and so on. But you know there are concerns which which I feel are coming out in in, in contemporary Maltese poetry, and uh, which are shared by by a large number of people, including some of the people uh, that I've translated for for this issue. Uh, so Claire, for example, is is was writing about trees and trees are one of the things uh, which are hotly contested in this country because they have a tendency to disappear and make way for um you know other other kinds of development yeah. construction and so on um so one you, you know i could say yes they have things, but they also have very very distinctive voices um in in Glenn's work for example there there are these it's a, it's a very sort of dialogic structure you multiple voices um, interacting and often imagery which is extremely everyday and that's what makes it so interesting uh, you know that the work just sort of fizzes with all this with all this um stuff about you know flies and paint and houses uh, Claire has a has this romantic, streak underlying the work I'd feel, um, you know, where trees take on a certain significance of of uh, of permanence, but also sort of these ancient and storied creatures with with all kinds of of of, of narratives that get intertwined with with those of, of human beings. Um, Adrian is far more overtly political, if you'll allow me to say that, Adrian, um, in in, in the way I I read your work. Uh, But also the the poetry comes comes across also in in the rhythm. In Adrian's work, there's always a lot of uh, rhythm plays plays a really central role. At least for me, that's one of the things I have to hear uh, as I translate so you know, stylistically, uh, in terms of metaphor imagery, the, the, these works are, are all very distinctive. Um, Claudia, again, different story. In these recent pieces that she wrote, she's there's almost a, something of jazz in what she's writing. They do have things in common. Um, they they do stem from a geography and a recent history, which I think gives them a baggage. Uh, from which they draw a lot of their themes, but also very different in terms of their styles, in terms of how they handle, for example, uh, the rhythm of the language and so on.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting that you say that Glenn Kalea deals with everyday things because the first adjective that kind of came to my mind when I first read uh, The Government in Your House was Mm -hmm. that it is, to me, a surreal poem, obviously, because... Oh, yeah. Government in your house, take samples of your headaches for filing purposes. It takes samples of this newfound cleanliness. Um, it's about bureaucracy and the intimacy of bureaucracy.
2: L- like a lot of surrealist uh, poetry, right? It's it's constructed, um, you, you know, the, the, the surreal feel that it has is cobbled together from things that you could stumble on in your own house, if you see what I mean.
0: Of course, yeah. Uh,
2: Right, when, everyday you know, it's, things—it's yeah. windows and doors and paint and, and samples and, and and other things and yeah. So, but you're right. I do I do agree. It's got a very surrealistic feel about it. Yes. Uh,
0: well, I I actually want to ask a question um, to both of you that came about for me when um, I was editing Adrian's wonderful essay of reach and richness to quote one tiny part of of the essay. You write, I particularly love Arabic. Again, it's something very personal and probably has partly to do with the fact that mine is a language of Arabic origins with many of Mm -hmm. the characteristics you would associate with Arabic languages, especially those spoken on the street. And you talk about um, the complicity of Maltese with Arabic, with various Arabics. In fact, I love that. Various Arabics and, and complicity with other languages as a sense. But I... I wanted to ask about, you know, this this word nationalism because I think that that was kind of like hovering over our editing process a little bit. I, I got the sense you're trying to balance, you know, what what you said earlier, you know, you want people to be proud of, you know, anti-colonial struggle and Maltese culture and history and language without being close-minded, right? Um, with with the sense of openness as well. And I I wonder if that is um a frequent sort of misinterpretation or or tendency um whether in the literary criticism world or or in Malta in general um with regards to language you know are you often used of oh you're being too nationalist is there such a thing you know is that is that kind of a criticism that comes up and the question is for both of you really
1: absolutely uh i think you hit the nail on the head over there because um sort of People who are associated with the promotion and the development of Maltese as a 21st century language are sometimes uh, accused of being nationalistic, and sometimes they bring it also on themselves by perhaps, I think, uh, talking a bit too in in too much of a restricted or limited way about identity and national identity and things like that. I I'm not you know i'm not completely against the idea of talking about identity i think of course identities are always in flux uh that identities uh, come out always in relation to different to to other to the other or to the to others so you know identity national um, the nation itself the, these are all you know complex um uh, phenomena Uh, And always in flux. To put it very simply, I don't normally use the word nationalism or nation or even identity because I find they come with a baggage which I don't want to identify with. I prefer uh, to talk about uh, the kind of um, heritage we have, the, the richness, the cultural richness that we've received from our our ancestors, and uh, and which we also share with our neighbors. Um, so, so these are I- important issues um, for me. Uh, what I tried to do in my in my essay was to explore, and it really is an exploration. It's definitely not a statement. I'm trying to explore how my my relationship with Maltese, with the Maltese language, uh, makes me. Just as cosmopolitan, just as open as my relationship with French or with Arabic or with English or with Italian. That's basically my 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 point, I suppose. Um, so in a way, it's 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 taking the opposite direction to that of nationalism and of identity politics, which which I find uh, passé and which do not reflect sort of our our realities today and i'm also very much i, I think we, re, we really need to be very much much more open to the cultures that exist in malta today because i think they bring great richness even to to our language and i think we're missing a very very big uh, opportunity here if we mm. if we pit languages and cultures and and Ethnic groups against each other. I think that's definitely that's definitely not the spirit of the age, and that's definitely not conducive to making our own culture. I, I know there are issues with the world the word culture and the way I'm using it, but anyway, um, making our own culture um, rich uh, richer. Um, I think these these are incredible opportunities, having having Nepalese here, having Serbs living here, Italians, um, people basically from all the nations of the world living on this tiny island. And I don't think we're not connecting enough with all these uh, different languages and communities and cultures. The, the other little thing I want to say very quickly was that, you know, that really difficult question you asked Albert about commonalities between the different poets. I think one yeah. thing which comes out strongly is the fact that they don't um rely like the poets from the earlier generations on Catholicism and nationality
2: so um, you- yeah that's actually true um so if that if there is if there is something that um uh, they or I, I should say you right because you're one of them uh that, that you guys have in common is this it, it, it's it's a sort of this absence of that imagery that and and those themes that that do tend to characterize uh, work, let's say, up to and including the seventies, uh, and of course even uh, before that. Uh, although, of course, the treatment of Catholicism uh, and, and in general, you know, religion uh, changed very drastically. Of course, from something that was to be preserved at all costs as a, a, an essential feature of our identity to something that was to be questioned and, and uh, even viewed as as uh, an obstacle to many things. But yes, that all of that seems to have um, gone away. And I do think part of the reason is that contemporary writers just have far more Salient things to worry about, to think about: the environment, the the place of this tiny fragment of rock in in the in the rest of the world, the you know the political situation um, in in our in our country, uh, and how that might might develop in the future. These are these are things that I think occupy people's minds far more than the older themes, which maybe and I'm trying to connect here with, with this discussion of identity and nationalism and so on, right? Maybe maybe uh, previous generations of writers, or at least I, I that's what I feel comes across to me in their work, were far more at pains to assert an identity, to, you know, plant a, a flagpole and say, this is where I stand, this is where I come from, because maybe that was necessary. This was a Of countries sort of climbing out of 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 colonial of the colonial pit so to speak um i don't think that is as centrally on the minds of people anymore which is not to say that we've ever articulated a post-colonial discourse in our country um as much as we should have maybe but the fact that these these things are no longer as central uh, as they used to be uh, does speak volumes
1: no, I was just, just going to add that I think uh, the new generation of poets um, that started writing mainly in the 90s are much, much more concerned with the language that they're using. And there's a lot of the creativity yes. you find in modern-day Malta in their language. There's a lot of creativity. There's a lot of experimentation. Not that there wasn't in the 60s. I think that the new generation has has managed to weave its own language, or languages rather.
2: Yes, I agree. Maybe that also comes out of there being less fear uh, of loss. Previous previous writers probably felt a responsibility to be ambassadors for the language. To to, you know, we we're doing something which also is an act of preservation of a language that for many years, for many, many years, was was given secondary status because you know the country was was a colony, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. This confidence that you see what you just mentioned, this almost ludic attitude to, towards the language, this this ability to play with it, to, to create your own version of the language uh, for your you know which which is also your own literary voice that speaks of a much greater confidence in in the language and its capabilities
0: this is a fascinating discussion i feel very privileged to 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 be hearing it thank you um it just occurred to me you know here are the three of us all of us using english and <laughs> we all we all come from island nations that were formerly british colonies right and this is a, a, a conversation and a struggle that I have both in my own head and with fellow translator colleagues around the world all the time, right? You know, like, what is the role of English? And and I, I think there are many different roles, right? And there are many different contexts. So would you say that the translation of Maltese into English now in, in this issue that, that we're doing with MPT, you know, we hope... Is a good thing. Obviously, we hope you know it gets mm-hmm. used to spread the word about the wonderful work that many Maltese writers are creating. But w- I wanted to ask both of you: so, is that sense of English as um, more of a bridging language rather than a colonial language for younger generations? Is that true, or or do you think that's a more a simplistic way of looking at it?
2: I think I think it is. I think people don't think of english as a colonial language they just think of english the way anybody anywhere thinks of english you know i i work in the in the netherlands where nobody thinks of english as a, as a colonial language because dutch used to be a colonial language you know english english wasn't to the dutch but english is is just viewed as you know that's that's what we use when we need to do certain things when we need to speak to certain audiences. So people certainly don't think of English in Malta. I think as the, the uh, you know a language that's you know remnant of the colonies, so to speak. At the same time, in in Malta, the linguistic situation is is a very complex one. Um, for example, there are there's also a, um, a part of the population. Which has English as its first language, so people who, who are brought up speaking uh, the Maltese English variety, uh, which also exists just as you know Australian English or South African English exists, right? Um, and they, you know that English is their first language as a result. Um, and part of that complexity uh, of the linguistic landscape here is this tension between. A language like english which clearly allows you to you know go places and speak to to very broad audiences uh, and a language like Maltese which clearly doesn't in, in because it is at a numerical disadvantage you know there's barely half a million people who speak it so what i find thrilling about translation is the possibility of of just avoiding lot of that discussion altogether and say well you know you can you can go from one to the other you can you can write in one and, and render it recreated in another um, and perform that bridging in some way but yeah to answer your question more, more directly um people people's attitude to english in malta will will vary considerably depending on backgrounds um so some people will see it as yeah it's my second language and it's it's what i use whenever i'm you know, in certain situations or contexts as a function of who I'm talking to and what I'm doing. For others, it is, it is very much a first language because they, they, um, by a decision taken by their parents, presumably, uh, not necessarily a well-thought-out decision, but there we are. Um, they grow up with English as their first language and and Maltese as their second language.
1: You've mentioned Indonesia because it's the country where you come from, and that one of my one of the most beautiful experiences I've had reading poetry abroad was at the Makassar International Writers' Festival in South Sulawesi in Indonesia in 2015. Um, if, if I didn't have English to this, which is to my mind an international ra- language rather than the language of of the British Isles or of or of, of England, actually. If I didn't have English, I wouldn't have been able to connect with the, you know, the large audiences uh, we had at the readings in Makassar, with the hundreds of young people who came to those readings and, and to, who talked to us after the readings and connected with us. So to me, um, th- this is this is what English is. Uh, Today, at least to me personally, I don't want to see English as a language that, you know, creates this monoculture, this monolinguistic culture, but rather as a language which facilitates um, knowledge and use of other languages. Of course, English in its own right, but also English as a facilitator. Um, for communication between other languages, I think this is this is how we do it. Also in the Mulka Mediterranean Literature Festival, so the English is there to facilitate the participation of languages and and literary traditions, various literary traditions, especially from the Mediterranean, but but also beyond. Uh, but not so much English as uh, the, the language that somehow, um, swallows up all the other languages into this, um, uh, into this big pot of, of linguistic soup, but rather a facilitator for communication. between different languages. So I can read Thomas Tranströmer in, in English because I can't read uh, Swedish.
0: Right. <laughs> yeah.
1: But um, that doesn't mean that um, Swedish means nothing to me. I mean, I, I, I love to listen to Wieslava Zimborska read her work in Polish, even though I don't understand the word of Polish. Um, right. And th- then I can read the poem in English. But listening to the original language language or languages is really important.
0: I'd just like to end by asking both of you uh... Uh, a question about Maltese writers in Malta, and what do you think is the role of Maltese writers with regards to society in Malta? Do you think there needs to be more protections? Do you think writers need to be appreciated more by by um by government and society? I'll
2: let Adrian start.
1: I think we need to develop uh, a book culture which we still do not have. We are still the country that Uh, in Europe, as far as I know, is uh, the least uh, to read books. We need to develop a book culture. We need to develop a a reading culture. Um, Some people read a lot, uh, but many people don't read anything at all. So, I mean, the, the government is doing the has been doing for a number of years, quite a lot to to help Maltese publishers and Maltese writers and the translation and distribution of Maltese literature abroad. But I think there needs to be uh, a big culture change and we need to work together. People and, and institutions from different uh, spheres of Maltese life Multi society in order to create this book culture, this reading culture, which I feel um, need needs to be needs to be cultivated.
0: Thank you, Adrian uh, Albert. What would you like to say about? This
2: well, um, I agree. The I think my main concern is is with the lack of a reading culture, um, and in addition to that having implications, of course, for the well-being of our literature um, in the long term and supporting writers, the lack of a reading culture also has an impact on the nature of our public discourse. Because when one is, you know, discourse in, in the broadest sense, written or spoken, you know, debate, the formulation of ideas, uh, it relies on, on the use of language and the use of, la- uh, re- reading is a very, exposes you to, to, to the use of language in, in, in very particular settings, okay. which are very different from um, the use of language in everyday settings and allows you to formulate, especially in writing, um, to, to be exposed to ideas formulated um, at, a, at a depth that is perhaps um, not as easy in spoken conversation on a day-to-day basis. So with a lack of a reading culture also comes a lack of exposure to ideas and to f- ways of formulating ideas at this, at this level of depth, uh, and sophistication. And I think that does uh, over time begin to reflect on the way um, important issues are discussed in the public sphere, whether that's through the media or 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 in other ways. A lack of informed perspectives and also a lack of ability to 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 formulate uh, and address things at the level of complexity they desire, or simply falling back on 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 default polarizations around around a given topic, for example. You know, are you for or against this? So I think the lack of a reading culture ultimately um has there's a price to pay for it which which goes which of course impacts the the um, the longevity of a of a of a nation's literature. Oh God, I used the word nation. Sorry, Adrian. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, oh, no, that's that's fine. It's hard to find a substitute for the word sometimes.
2: Um, well, like let's say the, the, the longevity of a literature in a given language, right, uh, is is impacted by the lack of a reading culture. But but the the price that we pay goes beyond that. Um, even though that is a crucial consideration as well.
0: Thank you both so very much for your time, and I really hope that our our little issue called The See a Poet, Focus on Malta, uh, introduces people around the world to your voices and and to those of your colleagues, and I I certainly had a blast editing this issue. I learned so very much. Uh, We are at NPT grateful as ever to the support of Arts Council England. We are also grateful for the support of the National Book Council of Malta, the Maltese National Book Council, in the creation of this issue. Uh, you can find our podcast wherever you find podcasts, alongside transcripts as well. So thank you both, Adrian Grima and Albert Gat. And thank you. We both enjoy the issue. Thank you so much for being a part of it, and thank you for your time here today. Thank you for listening to the MPT podcast. Music for this episode is by Karma Gen, a Maltese, multi-artist musical collective led by Noah Fabry. For more information about MPT and to subscribe to the magazine, please visit www.modernpoetryintranslation.com di fibrotensa organizza tensione comunità nemnature luxuriati rotema la frode lì il plastichet falta nana il crypto ti scende te dai su dura forata infrastruttura casa se mi controlla al controlla la logistica